Um, I'm going to talk today a little bit about this 4th of July weekend, um, a little bit about um, this idea of God and country. Um, I have, uh, it's probably not any uh, surprise to any of y'all that uh, I'm not a big fan of holiday weekends when it comes to church because everybody gets focused on everything else other than what we're here to focus on today. Sunday becomes kind of an afterthought many times with the weekends, and I I get it. Um, I I don't like it, but I get it. Um, But over the last several years, um, the 4th of July weekend particularly has been a a particular irritant to me. Um, And I think it's because of what I sense in our country and in the church. Um, I believe that there is what I would call an insidious rise of nationalism in the church. And what I mean by insidious is I don't think we see it for what it is. But it has become a staple within the modern church. Um, And I think it's probably a greater danger than most of us even can comprehend. Um, Most evangelicals, if you listen to podcasts or churches online or Christians who are into political fervor, um, you'll hear them pitch holy fits about the rise of liberalism, about the decay of the moral character in our society, and I think we should call those things out. Sin is sin. But the whole time they're doing this, they're, they're in essence waving the American flag as if it has some inherent godliness attached to it. I don't want you to get me wrong this morning. I love our country. Um, Most of y'all know I served in the military. Um, I'm old enough to have voted in every national election since Nixon ran the second time. I wasn't old enough the first time. I believe that our form of governance, the way we govern ourselves, is absolutely the best form of government on the earth and yet that is not the call of the church the call of the church is not about the country matter of fact i think that even in mentioning the things i've mentioned Military service, voting in elections, uh, the form of governance of our country. If you listen closely to many political people, many people in church, they raise those things up when they're talking about their Christianity as almost as if that is a part of our Christian behavior and nothing could be further from the truth there are many many good citizens in our country who are lost and separated from god the good people in the country they're not good people spiritually and what they need from the church is a clear call to the gospel of jesus christ not another rally raising a hallelujah to the freedoms that america brings I think the truth of Scripture is clear. 
There's nothing in the American dream which is born out of our national pride that matches up with the call that Jesus has given to us as his disciples. As a matter of fact, it's my contention that in many, 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 many cases, the American dream is completely at, at odds with the gospel message. If you're seeking after the American dream, then you're seeking something other than the life of Christ. I want to walk you through a few thoughts today. I, I took some definitions that I thought would help us as I'm going to define some things. The American dream. American dream is the national ethos. As I told the first crowd, I had no idea what the word ethos meant. I thought I kind of had an idea, but I, I couldn't have pinned it down if you'd have tried to make me. Um, the word ethos is talking about a distinguishing characteristic or a set of ideals. So the, the national ethos of the United States revolves around things like democracy, personal rights, liberty, opportunity, equality, in which freedom includes the opportunity for prosperity and success, as well as upward social mobility for the family and children, achieved through hard work in a society with few barriers. In the definition of the American dream by James Thurslow Adams in 1931, this is how he defined it. I don't know who he is, but this is how he defined it. Life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement, regardless of social class or circumstance of birth. The, the American dream is absolutely, actually rooted in the De Declaration of Independence when it proclaims that all men are created equal, which is true. It's a scriptural principle. It also states that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Constitution promotes a similar idea in the preamble when it says that the, that the, the country was formed to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, which means our children, the generations that follow us. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way or not. But this is the defining character or characteristic of the United States of America. And all of these things, in and of themselves, are not bad ideas for a country. I haven't said anything there that would be bad for a country to aspire to be. A country filled with people who have no other calling. A country, a country that's filled with people who have no greater allegiance a country filled with a people who have no other purpose but to be independent and free to do whatever they desire to do. But we, we who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, are not such a people. That's not who we've been called to be. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 
your life, my life as a believer, should be all about bringing glory and honor to God, not about bringing attention or affection or desires of our own life. We've been sold a bill of goods in America that you just go live how you want to as a Christian. You're, you're born again and you're going to heaven. But that's not what God's called us to. One of the leading tenets of the American dream is that this idea that greater opportunity for wealth can be brought about by hard work. And there's no doubt that hard labor is a part of Scripture. There's no doubt that God has always intended for work to be a part of mankind's life. As much as we don't like it, God said He created Adam and He placed him in the garden to do what? To work the garden. But, Scripture also says that hard labor, difficulty in accomplishing the tasks that we need to accomplish to survive is a direct result of sin, not God's purpose. Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that God said to Adam, Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. I, I, I want to remind you, ladies, that this isn't because the woman said it. It's because Adam listened to her rather than God. Our God is a jealous God, the Bible says. And he doesn't want anything in front of him. It was the fact that Adam placed her value over God's value. That was the sin. He said, because of this, you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. The ground will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. As far as this idea of wealth... I think most of y'all know my, my viewpoints on a lot of this, but Jesus himself warned us to keep a close watch on our heart when it comes to accumulating wealth. God never said money was a problem or wealth was a problem. God's not opposed to us having wealth. Um, some of the richest men in, in, in the world were men in Scripture. Lot was a man who was greatly blessed by God, lost it all and got even more at the end. Abraham was probably one of the richest men on the earth at the time. Um, many people believe that Joseph of Arimathea, the man that took the body down, Christ's body down and put it in the tomb, was a man of property and wealth within the Roman um, government. So money's not the issue. It's where your mindset is. Matthew chapter 6. If you ever wondered what God thought about you getting stuff in life, this will answer your question and probably blow out some of your thoughts he said in matthew 6 don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth if you just stop right there that'd be enough to make most of us miserable just don't collect for you but then he said we're moth and rust and destroy and where thieves break in and steal but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. 
Why? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's an idea of where your mind is, where your heart is, where your worship is. If you're putting all your, your focus on this stuff, then you're, you're likely going to be frustrated by it. But if your heart is in heaven, you won't be. And, and here's why he said that, because in verse 24 he said, No man can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other, and he gets as clear as he can be. You cannot be slaves of God and money. Your heart can't be on the things of this life and be on God at the same time. Continuing on with our definition of the American dream. It says that the meaning of the American dream has changed over the course of history. It includes both personal components such as home ownership, upward mobility, as well as a global vision. Historically, the dream originated in the mystique regarding the frontier life. As the governor of Virginia noted in 1774, Americans forever imagine the lands further off are still better than those upon which they are already settled. Uh, let me give you Steve's version of that. The grass is always greener on the other side. It, what's over there is always going to be better than what's over here. He also added, if they attained paradise, and that's capitalized, in other words, if they, if they got heaven on earth, they would, move, they would move on if they heard of a better place farther west. If somebody said, hey man, this is great, but let me tell you about that one over there. This is better heaven. People move. Why? Because that's the way we are. This character trait of never being satisfied with what we have can be seen in so much of the way we are as people. We've got to have the newest gadget. We've got to have the newest car. The newest television. The most, the most internet speed. Let me, let me ask you all something. Ha! How many more gigs is five gigs than four? How much does it really affect what you do? I, I'm like, Mark, I wouldn't know. It, you know. Oh, I got an extra gig. What does that mean? I have no idea. Does it make it that much faster? I don't, but we, man, we run towards it, don't we? Got to have 5G. I only thought there was 1G. But. So, hey, I don't know. But we're always doing that. If, if that's not true... Just think about the way people move on in relationships. I have this person, but oh, wait a minute. There's somebody over there that I might like better or might like me better. And we move on. This trait is a part of who we are as a people. And again, it's not a problem for the average American per se. I think it's a terrible way to live. But many do not. But for those who belong to Jesus, it is directly contrary to our calling. Hebrews 13.5 says, Your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for He Himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. When was the last time you found yourself Wanting something else because God wasn't enough. 
for what you had. You may not have thought about it that way, but I think often that's the problem is that we just don't find our satisfaction in who God is. And yet he said right here clearly, don't be tied up with things, money, stuff. Be satisfied with what you have. Satisfaction is one of the greatest things lacking in our society today. Nobody's satisfied with anything. Again, as the ethos that we talked about, that distinguishing character trait that we talked about today implies an opportunity for Americans to achieve prosperity through hard work. According to the American dream, the way it's listed here, it includes the opportunity for one's children to grow up and receive a good education and career without any kind of barriers. It's the opportunity to make individual choices without the prior restrictions that limited people according to their class, caste, religion, race, or ethnicity. Immigrants of the United States sponsored ethnic newspapers in their own language, and the editors typically promote the American dream as the reason to come to this country. And yet, we are so tied up with the idea of Christianity in our country. One of the things that I say all the time to, to, to people is that just because you're American doesn't make you a Christian. But if you ask people, what are you? And they're American, most of the time they will tell you, I'm Christian unless they say I'm Jewish or I'm Muslim or I'm none of that stuff. That's the biggest rise right now. It's, I'm none. Well, no, I, I didn't ask you what you believed but that's the way we go. We, we tie Americanism to our faith. And again, it's not a terrible idea for a country. I, I think it's a dangerous path to follow, but it is the natural course of man to desire individuality, to desire independence. But we have got to remember that the natural man is where our sin nature resides. And in the natural man, we cannot please God. God has called His people to interdependence upon one another and total dependence upon Him. I want you to listen to that statement one more time. God has called you to interdependence on one another. Jackie, you're dependent on Mark. Mark, you're dependent on Eric. Eric, you're dependent on Scott. Scott, you're dependent on Jennifer. Jennifer, you're dependent on Clay because you got a lot of kids. Hey, listen to me. We're interdependent. God has gifted you with these great individual gifts, but they're not to be used for you. They're to be used in the body. And when you're not doing your job, it makes the body fail. When I'm not doing my job, it makes the body fail. We're not, we're not the completeness that God intended us to us to be. And the whole, in all of its production, is totally, completely dependent on Jesus. John 15, 4 and 5. Listen to what Jesus said. Remain in me and I in you. 
Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. We're totally dependent on God. This individualism that we produce as Americans is useless in the spiritual realm. Listen, I hope that this morning you can see what I'm trying to show you. I hope you know I'm not anti-American. But I want to declare boldly that I am anti-American as an anthem for the church. We are more than that. The church is the living, breathing, working body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not bound up in a nation. If it were, what do we say to every other nation in the world? What do we say to those in history who are part of the body of Christ? We're more special because we're American Christians. That's garbage. We've been called to more than life, liberty, and happiness. You and I have been called to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness and self-control, all of the fruit of the Spirit of God within us. That is so much more than life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If we're going to make a difference in a world that is completely careening out of control at the speed of light, what our country needs today is not a church caught up in political debate, or the fervor for the search for prosperity. What America needs is a church caught up in the vision of Jesus Christ as the living Lord, God, and Savior. America needs a church so in love with Jesus that we're willing to abandon ourselves in this life to follow Him as a light to all who would look and see him.